Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of AdMail. This is Adam Bergman, founder and CEO of IRA Financial. I'm here to help you find the answers to the most frequently asked questions from my clients about self-directed retirement accounts. If you want to learn more, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on social media. Just search IRA Financial. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of AdMail. I'm Adam Bergman, tax attorney and founder of IRA Financial. And today's AdMail, I'm going to tackle some really cool questions. These are actually facts and circumstances type questions on three scenarios, two involving self-directed IRA investments and a third on setting up a solo K. So wanted to kind of do this um, instead of just kind of more formal uh, retirement slash legal questions. These are more facts and circumstances, uh, questions from clients, which I think will be a little bit uh, fun, change of pace, and actually rather do these types of questions. So uh, let's rock and roll. Let's let's get right to it. First question is from Facebook. Um, I own a track of land personally. Can I use my IRA to build a home on that land? So great question. I actually get this quite frequently. The answer is probably no. Okay, and why is because 4975 of the code is pretty clear. You need to do an investment involving your IRA that exclusively benefits your IRA. The issue with this fact scenario is that you own this land personally. Okay, so that by building a home or some type of structure on it that's funded by your IRA, clearly that is going to personally benefit you, right? Because your land will go up in value and you own that land personally. So anytime there's there's such a direct commingling of funds between IRA and personal funds, I suggest not doing it. Um, I've had clients say, well, I'm, I'm going to keep everything separate when I sell the asset. It's easy to bifurcate the land value and the structure value. I think it's risky. And I think the IRS, if they audit you, could easily argue self-dealing conflict of interest that the IRA investment was not made to exclusively benefit the IRA because clearly you personally are benefiting since the value of that land will go up, even though you're saying, no, 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 the land value is only going to be allocated to me. And then the value from the sale that's allocated or related to that structure will go to the IRA. It's too complicated. It's not only complicated, I think it's it's too integrated. And uh, I think you'll probably run into to issues with the IRS on an audit. So I would suggest not doing that. If you own the land personally, I wouldn't use any IRA money to um, build on it. It's kind of tainted anything you own personally. Um, uh, when it comes to real estate, I, I would try not to have IRA funds, um, especially in, in this case where you're, you're literally adding so much value to the asset that you own personally. So uh, I would stay away from that. Second question is from Jason G of Des Moines, Iowa. Jason wants to know, I own 30% in private business with several other partners that are not related to me. Can I use my IRA to invest in that business? So this is a great question. Um, and again, a lot of facts and circumstances. Two arguments the IRS can make to try to attack it, right? The first is 49.75. Is the ownership on, on, the, on a direct side do you own more than 50% of this business, right? Because if you own less than 50% on its face, the entity is not a disqualified person. 
So Jason said he owns less than 30%. There would not be any attribution, assuming none of the other owners are related to you and that there's no one there that is a partner in another business where you own 50% and they own more than 10%, which they would become a disqualified person under 4975E2. So assuming that those aren't uh, an issue, then you're under 50%. So technically it would be very hard for the IRS to argue prohibited transaction. They could, they could try to argue some self-dealing, conflict of interest, but it's much more difficult. And generally those cases don't get brought because it's very hard for the IRS to prove and it's not a slam dunk. So if it's not a slam dunk, they're, they're generally not gonna pursue the case because it turns on a lot of facts and circumstances. So you're under 50%, Jason, that's a good fact. The second is obviously the value of what your IRA is paying. You're gonna to need to show your IRA is paying fair value for the interest in the business, okay? So it can't be discounted, you can't pay more, it's gotta pay fair market value. Those are really the only two ways the IRS can attack a IRA related transaction. One, is it violate 4975? And two, did the IRA pay fair market value? I didn't make this up. This is based off GAO reports from 2014, where the IRS um, looked at scenarios involving founder stock, carried interest, things that kind of looked a lot like this. So um, the less you own, Jason, the better. You're under 50%. That's great. Uh, assuming you're going to pay, your IRA will pay fair market value. Also a good fact. What are some factors that hurt? Well, if it turns out that you need the money and there's no one else available that's going to fund this business and without your IRA investment, your business, your private business investment will go bust, then the IRS could argue that this is not a transaction that's exclusively benefiting the IRA, but it's being done to personally benefit you to save your personal investment. And thus it's a self-dealing or conflict of interest, primitive transaction under 4975C1 D and F. So that's why the facts and circumstance come into play. Whereas on the flip side, if you can show there's a bunch of other people out there that would love to invest in this business and the company's doing okay, and yeah, it needs money, it's raising money to grow, but there's other people that can invest and invest at the same price. And this is a good investment for the IRA. I think you are standing on firmer ground. And again, it'd be very hard for the IRS to attack this transaction. Just kind of looking at the Peter Thiel um, scenario. Yeah, it wasn't 30%. Thiel owned a lot less um, in a startup, PayPal, and then his IRA invests in that um, company. And then the IRS essentially had two ways to attack it. The first was private transaction, awfully hard to do because Thiel owned less than 50%. The second, which they tried to do is value. But what Thiel was able to show is that all the founders were able to buy the shares, whether they use personal funds or an IRA at the same value. So as long as Jason, you can show that your IRA is paying the same amount as any other investor would at that point, I think you're good to go. And I think it'd be awfully hard for the IRS to argue 49.75. Third, third question of, and final question of today's ad mail is from Tim C of Orlando, Florida. And this actually, I, I spoke at um, a pension investors um, conference um, in June in Orlando, and I, and I got this question, so I wanted to share it because it's a really good question. I have a business that has 12 employees and I own less than 50%. And I have another business, which I am the sole owner, that has nothing to do with that business. Can I set up a solo 401k plan for the business with no employees? So I've been on this control group rule theme for the last month or so. I've done it. 
uh, Adam Talks podcast on it. I've had, I've done some ad mail questions on it. Why? Because it's a very complex area that comes up a lot. Um, a lot of people have questions about it. A lot of people don't know that these rules exist, that if you own two or more businesses and either there's ownership of more than 80% cross businesses or potentially 50% um, or there's some affiliated services or management services, even if the ownership threshold could is zero, there still could be a triggering of these control group rules, which would basically treat the side business as part of the business with employees and prevent the side business from setting up a separate 401k that doesn't offer benefits to the company with employees, right? And the, what's the reason for this? Obviously the IRS wants to make sure and the Department of Labor specifically that all the employees are being given the same rights. So if you're a highly compensated employee or an owner, you shouldn't be receiving additional plan benefits that your rank and file employees are not receiving. So what people try to do is say, hey, I own a restaurant or a consulting company has 10, 15, 50 employees. I don't really want to offer my employees 401k. I'm a great guy, obviously, but it's costly. It's a pain. I don't want to do that. So guess what? I'm just going to set up a side business for me and my spouse. And I'm going to get some service. I'm going to provide services to that business. And I'm just going to set up my own solo K max out and my employees will never know about it. Well, depending on if you own 80% or more, or there's affiliated services or management services, you will likely fail that test and have to be treated and will be treated as one control group rule. So let's look at this fact scenario, 12 employees. Okay. And you own 80. So you own 50% in one business or less than 50%, one business with 12 employees. And you have a side business that I assume you own hundred percent. Okay. So parent sub you satisfy because you own less than 80%. You're going to satisfy brother, sister, because you're under the 80 and 50. Affiliated service management. You're saying there's no connection between the companies, no services, no management services, no affiliation. Okay. Because you're under that 80 and the 50 and there's no affiliated or management services, technically you would likely not trigger the control group rules. Okay. And you probably could set up a solo cat play solo K plan for your side business without having to offer benefits or being to the 12 employees and be treated as part of the control group role. Now, the big fact is the affiliated service and management services. You have to, as long as there's no money going between those businesses, no services, no management services, no money revenues between those businesses, um, you're probably good to go, Tim. Uh, but again, be super careful. Speak to an attorney, a CPA, um, an ERISA attorney. You want to make sure before you set up a solo plan and you're dealing with potential control group rules, that you um, have these rules understood. Because if you do run afoul to, of these control group rules, as I mentioned in previous uh, videos, it can get messy because your con contributions may be disallowed, you may pay excise taxes, and you may have to make up contributions for your employees, plus pay penalties. It's a giant mess. I've dealt with it for some clients over the years. And trust me, you do not want to be in that situation. Okay, so there you go. That is another episode of AdMail in the Bag. Uh, appreciate everyone listening. If you're watching on YouTube, cheers. Thank you so much. This podcast drops every Thursday. So uh, don't forget to check it out. If you miss it, no worries. You can check us out anytime you want on Spotify, Apple, SoundCloud, or on YouTube uh, where it's posted 
for your uh, viewing pleasure. So have a great week and talk to everyone again next week. Take care. Thank you.